Hey everybody, welcome back to America's Game, episode number 17. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Vanek. You can find me on Twitter, at Eric Vanek NFL. And I am also, once again, joined by my co-host, Scott Connor. Scott, we're at another bi-week apocalypse, week 9, with all these uh, six teams on bye, man. Going to be another rough week. What's going on with you? Yeah, glad to be back. 17th episode, we're still here, haven't got canceled yet, haven't got kicked off the channel uh, in the midst of the grind like I always talk about, but uh, it's been an enjoyable week, honestly. It's been a, a week that's been a lot to do, but also I think you're starting to see activity pick up a little bit across some leagues, some teams figuring out that maybe they should start doing some stuff, like actually being a little more active that now they have to worry about bye weeks, a lot of injuries. Like it just felt like things picked up a little bit this week. So uh, perfect timing for this episode. This should be fun to talk, uh, just degenerate strategy. So yeah, glad to be here. Good. looking excited for this episode with uh, a couple guests. So I'll let you uh, introduce our guests, but yeah, glad to be here, man. Yeah, if we didn't get canceled uh, any of the other episodes, we might get canceled tonight with our two new guests on here for this evening. Uh, it is the 4D Chess Guys, Adam and Mike. You know those guys from the channel. They got their own Patreon, South Harmon. I'll let them talk about that a little bit too. But uh, Adam and Mike, what's going on, guys? Eric, what's going on, man? Uh, let me tell you that I listen to every one of these, but hearing you say it right now that this is episode 17, I can't believe how much time has gone by because... That's a lot of episodes, and I'll say this. Uh, we're going to try not to get you canceled, but no promises, man. Um, we'll, we'll do our best, though. It might be the best thing we do all year if we <laughs> get these dudes canceled. You, you guys are incredible at this, and uh, if we can get you canceled, man, that's going to be a notch on my belt. But, Scott, you were talking about bi-week apocalypse. Uh, just a, Oh, man. Adam, Adam and I made a deal last night because about last night I realized, oh shit, it's a start two tight end league and I don't have anybody in my second tight end spot in the best ball league. So let me go see what crusty dudes you have. <laughs> Maybe we'll get me three points. So hell of a week, but I'm excited to be here. I love listening to you guys. So it's pretty cool that we get to hop on and uh, have a, a fatal four way. Yeah, I had uh same thing last night. I realized, oh shit, I don't have a third wide receiver to play in, in a league where you minimum start three receivers. And I had to go pick up Chris Moore. Thank goodness he scored a touchdown. So I had the same problem. That's a yeah, nice I thought pickup, the same though. thing. Yep. I, I had uh, a couple leagues where I needed a tight end and I decided to go with, uh, go to Jordan Aikens in the, like Eric likes to call it the four way fuck fest with four <laughs> tight ends for Houston. And uh, I obviously picked the wrong one because he was the only one that uh, didn't get anything. So I'm glad I started Jordan Akins in two leagues. That was a great start to the week. Yeah, and like Ray uh, said on the wake-up show, Quentin Tarantino caught the one touchdown. <laughs> you know what's funny is I saw people picking him up, and I just laughed because I posted his RAS score in the Discord, and it, he's like literally one of the least athletic players ever to catch a touchdown. Like it, the right side of his RAS card is just red, 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 everything. He's absolutely a dog when it comes to athleticism and i saw people picking him up and whenever i see those pickups i'm just like oh you poor soul you know picking up a, a tight end with a four raz that's basically like a fucking statue out there playing and of course he gets a touchdown on the first drive i'm like really and i don't know how many of those he was started but 
even in your best ball leagues where people picked him up, it's like, you serious? Like, but, it, of course, because I pick up Jordan Akins and I laugh at the people that are picking him up, and then boom, he gets the touchdown. Like, it's a, it's just a cruel sport. Let me let me ask you this, guy. On that same topic, it's, I know it's not going to be the topic of the show, but Isaiah Likely is starting to look. You know, had had some really good promise that last game, and with Bateman out for the year, like looked really good. And and here's the thing: I love the prospect coming out, but when I saw the RAS score of Isaiah Likely, I believe it's like less than five. Like his his RAS score really, in my opinion, he did not do well at the combine, and it made him someone that I I got a couple shares of just out of hopefulness because I love the guy. But I I would have drafted a lot more without the RAS score. It's just like he he looks good though. Like, what are your thoughts on Isaiah Likely? So I think there, there's a couple things. Uh, first of all, the RAS score is really just an easy way to eliminate a lot of players, right? Like it makes the tight end evaluation, I think, easier, but then that doesn't eliminate other parts of the evaluation process. So it, it does two things for me. One, it helps me shave down the tight ends that I'm even interested in, that I'm willing to bet on if we're talking about like ones where I'm actually shooting for a potential starter. Now that doesn't include deeper leagues, two tight end, two PPR leagues, things like that, where it's like literally anybody with a pulse that can get three or four targets can be a, a flex starter at the right time. Uh, but I think that's just one component. I think the RAS part is helpful for when you're in these deeper leagues, you can find some of these types on waiver wires. Like Brock Wright is a, a RAS freak, right? But he has no profile. He was always behind another tight end in college. He played in college for ever. And then he wasn't drafted. So nobody ever had him on a roster until there's the point now where it's like, okay, he might be a pickup. And that's where you kind of know to gamble on a guy like that versus somebody else, right? So I'm using the RAS score to say, okay, if there's a, a 1% shot, it could be a guy like him. On the contrary, a guy like Isaiah likely didn't have the RAS profile, but we're starting to see like, A, he earned a role, right? You got to pay attention to that. B, he's also showing the ability to earn some targets too, you know? And a lot of the outliers from the Raz perspective that I went in and looked at, they, they kind of showed at some point pretty quickly that they can earn targets regardless of their athleticism. So I don't think we can ignore a guy. If he goes out and has, you know, let's say Andrews continues to get banged up and Isaiah likely ends up getting 80 targets this year somehow. Like we got to pay attention to that. At that point, his Raz score doesn't matter. He becomes maybe one of those outliers where, okay, we know he has a, the ability to draw targets in the NFL. Am I going to bet on him to be a top 12 guy? Probably not. Because I also think, and this is one of the misconceptions, is what are you aiming for, right? I would bet that if Mark Andrews went down, my, Isaiah likely has no chance to become Mark Andrews because the team is never going to give him that role. He's too small. He's not somebody that probably historically is going to be a guy that you run the offense through. But they put him on the field. They need somebody to throw to. He shows he can get five, six, seven targets a game. You got to pay attention to it. So that's my thoughts. Like I'll take the L on that if he ends up being one of those outliers. Yeah, I know. I took the L on it because Scott told me not to draft him anywhere. So I think I have like one share of him. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Well, it come happens, up with your man. own process then. I, I faded him too. That wasn't. That was. That was. Hey, I, my process is still the RAS score too. It's just you know I didn't like the the combine test and it made me lower him and you know I didn't get as many shares. But that's all to your point. Like I'm okay with it. You know, there's other players I got in that same range that I was happy to get too. So. And I think well, the other thing is just because you have a high RAS score doesn't predict that you're going to hit 
a top 12 season. Right. You know what I mean? It, it isn't, high it isn't necessarily, you know? Yeah, it's not that you can say it's predictive. It, it helps you filter out maybe where there's limited upside. But we're talking about leagues where you're searching for a top 12 season. A, how much does that matter? Maybe we have to reassess that. Top five versus top 12. Is there even a difference? Based right. on this year's scoring, not really. But the other thing, we're in some two tight end leagues where the threshold isn't top 12, right? Like, I'll take a tight end 15 season because that's useful. So, you know, what are you what are you shoot, what are you shooting for? So I think it, it does matter your league, too. That's one of the caveats I always put in those tight end episodes. You need to understand your league and how much tight end even matters as a whole in the league first before you start applying some of these rules with tight end uh, athleticism and RAS scores. Well, I think, oh, go ahead, Mike. If you kind of think about it, too, with Isaiah Likely, like specifically since we're talking about him, what his cost was in a rookie draft, like what pick you had to spend on him versus what he would cost now that if this is the moment that you want to believe in him and you want to buy into him, like we're not talking a huge difference. Like, hey, glad he's hitting, glad he's hitting. But, I mean, you probably get him for, what, a late second? Um, Maybe some people would charge you like a mid-second. Or, you know, if you really wanted to do it here, I'll give you an early third and a tossing. Like, have something. I want a share of Isaiah Likely. His cost at rookie time was mid to late third. Like, you're not talking about moving up a whole lot. And then, you know, your warp episode that you did on rookie picks. Like, if I got to spend two of my third round picks to actually get somebody that I've seen produce that I want to buy into, I'm kind of willing to do it. That's why I carry so many extras, just so I can pack them together for actual real players instead of having to shoot lawn darts all the time. Yeah. I mean, and uh, just one more thing, and then we'll kind of move on from the tight ends because I could do a 30-minute discussion on this. But I think the other thing to pay attention to is there is a big difference between a tight end flashing as a rookie and showing that they belong and showing that they can be useful sporadically versus getting to that next level where their usage is predictive of being a top 12 tight end. Like you see a lot of rookie tight ends. And I think we're probably going to have to start paying attention more to some of the rookies that come in because tight end right now in dynasty is a weak position. So you have these guys coming in and teams seem more likely to put no pun intended, more, more likely to put tight ends on the field earlier when they need a guy. Now there's a big difference though, between how like Kate Otten is being used versus going into next year and going like, all right, they plan to give him, you know, 80 plus percent of the snaps and he's going to run more routes than anybody else on the team, except for the top two or three receivers. There's a big gap between getting from where he is now to where you're going into the season saying, all right, this is a guy that has a legit top 12 potential chance. And I think that's going to be the flaw on these rookie tight ends. Maybe Dulcich is an outlier. Maybe Daniel Bellinger is an outlier. But, like, what do you see on keep trade cut? Like, Greg Dulcich is, like, what, tight end seven, tight Tight, end eight? Tight end eight today, Scott. I just looked at this. The odds that he goes up from there and gets to George Kittle, Darren Waller level range is so low that you can almost argue there's going to be a level off window for a guy like Dulcich for, like, two or three more years where you just sell based on the fact that he's probably not going to get, like, 20% better for the next three years. But he's probably good enough to say, hey, in year five, the dude could be the tight end five, and I wouldn't be shocked. But I'm going to fucking sell when he's tight end seven. You know what I mean? And I'll just bet that he's going to level off for the next two or three years and be in that streaming range 
then I'll buy back in in year four or year five when people go, oh, this guy's garbage. You know, like Evan Ingram, he leveled off. He's trash. Well, no, he just should have never really been like tight end three to begin with. You know, he's probably like where he is right now, like a low end tight end one. And that's fine. It's just, you know, just because you were good as a rookie doesn't mean your trajectory in two years, you're George Kittle. You know, like that the George Kittles don't come along every year, especially not four of them in one class. So I think that's how we treat the position wrong. So there's yeah. like this ebb and flow of how to buy and sell and exploit the market. One thing on the Greg Daltrich thing real quick, and I'll kick it back to you, Eric, because I know we got other things to talk about. But uh, I had a couple people asking me about Greg Daltrich. And, and here's my thing. I think I'm 100% with you. But the one piece of advice I would give you is if you're going to sell Greg Daltrich, what you don't want to do, like you want to go get some other player in your lineup if you have tight end already secured and he's someone you had backfilled. Go get a receiver. Go get a running back that's probably in the same – general value range you're going to win that trade what you don't want to do is take a random second that might be a late second and then re-roll that into tight end again because then you're going to have maybe a trade mcbride again right just don't do that is my only suggestion if you're going to sell greg Dolch, just don't do that because it's not a good bet actually yeah i planned on around the combine after the combine uh, me and scott are going to do a tight end rad score episode so we're going to break down all the 2023 rookie tight ends coming in after the combine. So look out for that in March or whenever the hell the combine is. So we'll, we'll do that for sure. But now going on to tonight's topic, Scott wanted to talk some trades tonight. So we're going to talk about trading strategies. You know, we're getting close to the playoffs right now. You should know, hey, am I a contender? Am I a pretender? Am I just tanking for the rest of the year? Or am I going to go and try and win my championship in my league? So with that tonight, we're going to go over some trade strategies that you should be looking to do. Uh, you know, some players to acquire, who, who, some guys that we like to pick up right now that we think can help us win a championship. Maybe some players to sell as well. So I'm going to kick it to you, Scott. This is kind of your idea, so I'll let you run with this. Yeah, and of course we have Mike and Adam on. Um, and they're honestly the the best out there, and I don't mean this lightly, the best out there in terms of the Dynasty podcast space in talking about uh, best ball strategy and how it differs and how it just can't be used as a blanket statement when you put a trade out on Twitter or in a poll. Like we talked about this on the trade show that's going to be coming out or that's going to be out when you, everybody listens to this is you have to give the context, right? When you're talking about those trades, like there's a big difference. A trade you might go, that's a smash in a lineup league is a no-go in a best ball league or vice versa. And until you have that context, like some of the discussions you see on Twitter and some of the opinions people have, it's like, it's, it's an incomplete. I can't really tell you one way or the other exactly what I would do until you have that more information. And a lot of the surfaces that we get these trades, you don't have time to ask eight, eight, eight clarifying questions and get all the details. So I just want to kind of just brainstorm like different ideas. We're all in a good amount of leagues. Um, we're all, probably more on the aggressor side in terms of trying to drum up trades, trying to drum up activity within our leagues, even in the leagues with where we're playing against like-minded players or even with each other, we're still probably the more active ones. Like there's still other people that I've, I've sensed that are a little more apprehensive and it's maybe not because they know less or they're less tapped in. It's just maybe, maybe they just don't bring the same mindset. They don't understand you know, variance and making different bets and just ha putting everything into numbers, you know, like I, I'm very much, that's how I play the game. So a lot of times the players don't matter. It's like, all right, where are the odds? 
where do they sit based on my team, based on this league or whatnot. So I just kind of want to go around and do like a roundtable discussion on savvy trade ideas, savvy trade strategies. Um, I guess I'll start with this question. I'll ask everybody. I'll start with Adam. What what are you noticing just across your leagues? The the week to week like day trading market in terms of buying the spot start running backs, buying the spot start quarterbacks. How have you noticed that? Do you think that's more rampant this year with more people taking that kind of strategy? Does it differ in your lineup leagues versus your best ball leagues? Like what's your pulse on people trying to play that way? Do you think it's becoming like more and more the norm or do you think that's still a niche thing? I just kind of want to get everybody's opinion on that. So Adam, I'll start with you. Yeah. So, so I would say it's still probably a niche thing. However, I am seeing more of it for sure. And, and I, I'll tell you this, it seems like, especially now, especially like in lineup, I'm not saying it doesn't happen in best ball, but in lineup leagues, once the bye week start, I think the activity really takes a big, big step forward because people don't, it's funny, man. People just don't on an average person's thinking, right? I'm not saying you listening to this podcast don't think this way, but I feel like the average person looks at their starting lineup when the season starts and they think, oh, we're great. They don't think about injuries. They don't think about bye weeks. They don't think about any of that, right? And then as the season comes around, they're like, shoot, I have this injury and two buys at wide receiver. I don't even have a wide receiver two, let alone a wide receiver three, right? And then you have to figure out what they're doing with their lineup. So what I would say is the combination of that plus this year especially, it feels like to me anyway – the most reactionary market I've ever seen. Like somebody, it's amazing, like Kenneth Walker, right? I had Kenneth Walker. I drafted him in a lot of places. I was high on Kenneth Walker. Nobody wanted to give me any type of value for Kenneth Walker for forever. The second Rashad Penny goes down, he is now in the RB1 discussion on keep trade cut. Like think about how gigantically of a leap that is, right? So like when I'm, when I think about trade values and stuff and more to your point on the start, the start, like, players and the spot starts I think what I'm seeing is what I notice if I'm especially if I'm rebuilding if I see someone wants that I go and look at their transactions like what are they paying for that what 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 are what are they typically paying for spot starts and then what's their offer to me and can I get a little more juice out of them I think that's one of the things I've been trying to edge out in that market is how does this specific person that I'm dealing with in this trade how do they think and how do they transact I like that. The Ken Walker example is pretty good of a player that goes from literally like zero to hero overnight and then takes what one game where he's the, he's the sole starter. And it's like, he's, and it's at the perfect time when other running backs start falling. And it's like, dude, he's RB two or RB one dynasty. Well, I said the other day, someone said I offered him Jonathan Taylor for Ken Walker and I wanted a third back and they go, why would I add a third? And and I'm like, I can't blame you. You know what I mean? Like, I'd I'd rather have the guy and part of their evaluation was guaranteed that Jonathan Taylor's hurt. You know what I mean? They don't care about the dynasty value. It's like, give me the healthy guy over the next two weeks. and I can't argue with it. And last point to that exact follow up is for me, right? I'm a Ken Walker guy at heart. And I've been saying that I think he has the tools to break away from that backfield. And that I don't think the guys in front of them, the incumbents are, are that worrisome. So then once the, he goes down, I'm like, okay, see, I'm right. And, but it's taken me a little while to finally get to the point to realize like, yeah, I was right on Ken Walker, but it's time to sell. He's, you know, <laughs> if he's valued as a top 10 player on keep trade cut and people actually value him as a top 10 super flex player, he's got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Then that, 
I don't think in the past we would have had to change our our scope on one player that fast, you know? Within two weeks, you're going, this is my biggest, like, flag player slash buy to, holy shit, I need to start selling half my shares because I'm literally tripling or quadrupling my investment, and I'm too pragmatic to say no. So what do you think, Mike? I think to your original point, your your question about uh, the whole strategy of buying starts kind of thing, I think back to earlier in the season and, you know, I'm a big giant running back guy. I love them, you know, running backs over wide receivers. And this year I've kind of just had these, oh, fuck. <laughs> like it's been a lot of, oh, fuck in my lineup please specifically. And it's been tough. And I also think back to all the shit, even, even if it wasn't public, like in my mind, I'm giving to teams who are, I'm like, man, you got Jimmy Garoppolo, like as like a quarterback who's got to be something for you. You got Geno Smith. You got Jacoby Brissett. Like your quarterback room is god-awful. It's trash. There's no way you're going to be a good team. And I look around some of my leagues and some of the people who are near the top have these quarterback situations or they didn't have running backs going into the season. They're all built with receivers, and they had the excess draft capital to go out and buy a – Deion Jackson when they knew that he was going to start or buy one of these other running backs, buy a Deontay Foreman. I've been extremely jealous of it because I wanted to do it, but I wanted to do it too late. I didn't go into the season with this kind of approach, and now it's becoming more and more of a thing. Now it's it's still a niche because there's a lot of teams who, you know, we, we play in all kinds of dynasty leagues. I play in some really sharp ones where people, you know, they ride every piece of value right to the bone when it comes to trading or roster construction. And then I play in a lot of just more casual leagues where it's just, you know, some people don't check their damn lineups for five days or I haven't been paying attention. I haven't been doing this. It's like, I can tell there's been a trade offer that's been out there for eight days now or however long it's been. But I definitely think it has been a eye opening thing for me where I want to, move more of my teams, especially the ones that I want to compete with, into kind of this, let me try to gobble up all these thirds. Let me try to gobble up all these excess picks when I don't need them. That way, next year when I go into, I'm not so locked into, you know, if this running back goes down, damn, I can still manage. But if two running backs go down, holy hell, now my team's in peril. Or this, I need three really good quarterbacks in Superflex. I don't need that. Maybe I get into more Geno Smith types. Maybe I get into more Jimmy Garoppolo's and just kind of roll the dice on those. Because I think, in my opinion, for some of the teams that I've seen around, especially with the sharper people, it's like I am I have this envy <laughs> of what they've built. And I think it really comes down to how you want to approach trading. And I think that's why tonight's episode is pretty good because you have all these strategies that you can kind of sneak in the back door to get to that point eventually. Yeah, great point. Great point. And I'm going to come back to everybody with kind of the alternative of as this starts to become more popular, you recognize the leagues where it's becoming more popular to where, like, you know, Mike, you just said you're starting to see more people do it. But if you find yourself in a situation where there's seven people trying to play this way in your league, maybe it makes sense to go against the grain and go, all right, you know, I want to be the one that has pieces to sell them when I know they're playing this way, you know, then maybe you, you collect all the value this year and then you run it back next year with a little bit of a different strategy, but you still collect the value during the season. So I'm going to come back to that. Cause I think that'll be a, a good discussion topic as this becomes a little more mainstream. How about you? E? 
So I made one trade today in one of my leagues, and and my whole strategy going into it was I'm like six and two. I'm thinking I'm gonna be within like the two oh nine to two twelve range, you know, whatever for the championship pick. And what I wanted to do was see if I can get two assets with both of those picks. So I traded my second and Alec Pierce. Alec Pierce, you know, decent player that some people like, but I think for the rest of this year he's kind of dead with Sam Ellinger. And I got back Romeo Dubs and Gus Edwards. I think those are going to be two assets that are going to help me the rest of the year. I think Dubs is just better than Pierce regardless. And I think Gus Edwards has a shot to be, you know, at least a top 20 running back every single week when he is out there. I think he's going to be able to hammer in some touchdowns and whatnot. So in my leagues, I'm looking at if I am thinking I'm going to be one of those teams that's going to be in the playoffs, going to be a top four team or whatever. I don't care about moving my late second round pick. You know, those late seconds I can easily get back or it's probably not going to be a player that, you know, has just game changing value at all. So I'm willing to go trade that pick and and another player to go get two better assets that are going to help me for my championship run. So that's one of the reasons I went and made that trade today. And I've kind of been looking at doing it in some of my other leagues as well. I think you make a good point is, and I've, I've noticed this, that I still, I see a lot of people chasing the backup quarterback spot starts and the running back spot starts for thirds where they can get them. But I see a lot of people hesitant to pay the second. A lot of people hesitant to pay the second for Deontay Foreman, hesitant to pay the second for Jamal Williams. You look back and you go, man, if I get four starts out of those guys, that that absorbs that warp that we talk about with a late second right there, you know, and especially we think of those guys as their spot starters. But I think you can look at a guy like Jamal Williams or Deontay Foreman and say they have a shot to be in this type of role for multiple years. It's not just this year. It's over the next year, two, three years. There's no guarantee. You also know that a guy like that, their value is going to go through the floor during the offseason because people are going to go, yeah, he's a backup running back. They're going to draft his replacement, blah, blah, blah. But if they're good enough, they're going to bounce right back and be in a similar like next man up rule next year. And you go, wow, he can spot start again if there's an injury in front of him or, you know, it's just a bare backfield where maybe he gets a couple shots. But I see people hesitant to move those seconds for a guy like Foreman, who literally could start for the next eight weeks. And you're like, if I get eight spot starts, even if he sucks two or three of those games in a lineup league, he's probably giving me double figures in half those weeks. So what's your hesitancy there? And I like your strategy, Eric, to go for two assets, because I don't think you have to pay a second for one. Because I think like the Deontay Foreman owner, if you throw a second in front of them, they're willing to throw you Deontay Foreman and a third or Deontay Foreman and Eno Benjamin in the same trade. So like, is that something you're thinking about? Like, instead of just saying, oh, no, I can't pay a second. I'm banking on some of the thirds to buy me spot starts. Sounds like you took the next step and go, let me throw my second out there and see if I can buy like two possible angles to get some points. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going for, pretty much. So, yeah, that nailed it. I think, like I said, I think Gus Edwards could definitely be somebody. And this is a best ball league, too. So this is definitely, you know, I don't have to pick when these guys start. So I'm not in too many best ball leagues. But I figured those were two guys that I think that could upgrade me and help me get a championship this year. So, yeah, definitely thinking about that. And I'll think about that in my lineup leagues, too. I haven't had the 
chance to really go through most of my teams and look and see, hey, you know, if I can get two assets like that, you know, upgrade one of my assets plus get another asset on top of it. So, yeah, if I can do that, I'm definitely doing it right now. Man, in best ball, Eric, I think that's even a bigger win because – and that's probably an edge you can play where, to to your point, right, if you're getting the two assets for the second that – People will trade your foreman for, you know, they want the second, but they're not, they're having a hard time moving them for the second. You're coming to give them one of the only seconds that they're going to get, but you're asking for the plus on top of it. They're thinking, I'm getting rid of foreman for the price I'm asking. I'm just adding this fluff. But in best ball, that's even a bigger edge for you. I'll say this I made a trade, the one we featured on the trade show, which it was, uh, Scott wasn't the guest on. It's going to come out at the same time this podcast is coming out. So what's interesting is kind of changing thought processes I think is one of the biggest keys for me in trading and just how I'm thinking about leagues. So this, this league that I made the trade for essentially the, the, the bones of it was trading away Kamara for a first, um, a 24 first. And this team was something I built off running backs. And you, you know, if you're paid attention, you're listening to this podcast, our podcast, like that's not been optimal at all. So I'm three and five. I had a huge week last week. And a lot of that was because Kamara went off. Someone's coming with me, coming to me with a 24 first, my old process, right, before running backs are showing this bad and what the trade values are, I wouldn't have done that. But now what's interesting is I'm sitting on all these seconds. I have five seconds in this league. And I've had a hard time moving them because why? I'm trying to buy the assets which don't make sense before. Now I'm sitting here thinking, all right, so I can get a 24 first for Alvin Kamara, right? I get that 24 first. I have two 24 firsts. I have all my 24 picks. And I have five 23 seconds. So let's say I have all these seconds and now my team wins another week. I'm four and five. I'm sitting on a, on a pot of seconds that I can move for all kinds of players in this league, especially because not that many people care in this league about Deontay Foreman's. They're willing to move them pretty much all the time. So in this league, I'm sitting on, if I'm able to make the playoffs, that can buy me all kinds of spot starts and probably multiple of them. So I can still compete now with those. If, if needed. And if not, I still have all this draft capital to refill stuff next year. That's a great point. I think that's a, that's an awesome strategy. And I, I think the biggest mistakes I see are teams that are right in that fringe or right on the fence of contending or not. They, if they don't, if they don't have the market in their league to go to the extreme, like tank to the one Oh one or one Oh two, or you have one of these teams where it's like, you know, like you said, you're under 500, but maybe your your all play record or your potential points say, you know what, I got a shot to make the playoffs. You kind of strip it down to the very, very smallest of margins, but you're like, you know what, if the ball bounces my way and I find myself a game out with two weeks left, I can blow a second or two and take a shot at getting to the playoffs. And you're not you're not hurting yourself in the long term because you made some quote unquote, like rebuilding moves earlier, like you said, but most people would go, oh, well, you trade away Kamara. You're not going to win. It's like, well, I feel less confident about winning, but it doesn't mean I can't win. I mean, there's way too much stuff that can happen week to week to say just because I trade away a running back, especially that I'm out of it. So I love that idea of like, all right, I'm probably the fourth best team in this league, but there's a pretty good chance that I'm never going to be the best or the second best. So let me kind of play on the fence. But if there, if something happens where maybe another team that I'm competing with has a catastrophic injury and they don't have any picks to bail themselves out, boom, 
the five seed just became available. Yeah. I can get it, you know, like, and, and let me be the one that's always in the position to go. All right. I have a little extra money to spend this week. I'm going to go spend it and have a good time instead of, I got nothing. I, I, I just can't do anything. I just got to live with it. So I think that's a huge point. And real quickly before, uh, cause I want to get Mike's take too is, so here, here's the thing for me with that, right? When Eric talks about how, and you guys talk about how you can move Foreman for a third pretty easily, but when you get to that second range, people are very hesitant. And I think what's interesting is when you look at this, right? The large majority of people aren't even sitting on two seconds, let alone a leverage piece of seconds, right? So what happens is I have one second. I'm not even sure what I'm doing with my team. Do I really want to spend it on Deontay Foreman? Well, if I have a multitude of them, I'm willing to burn one a lot easier than the, in the, than the rest. And on top of that, if you have five like I do, like you have half of the draft essentially. So nobody else has a leverage point. So you're the one that actually creates the buying in that scenario. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an awesome point too. And there's, Maybe we'll talk in a little bit of how to get to that point because I think there's a whole nother strategy of how to get to the point where you get, you gained five seconds, and I bet you you gained a lot of those seconds by not really sacrificing much at certain times during the year. You know, 100%. you got them thrown in a deal in a a flat range tier of players where you just exploited the fact that someone else thought this wide receiver three was better than that one, so they kicked in a second. Like the, that type of strategy that you can employ in May or June when no one's doing anything except for just, you know, sitting on their ass and trading. Like that's a huge component of what gives you the flexibility to do this during the season. So, Mike, what's your thoughts? And I want to add one more question while you're answering that. Do you think this is a dead spot right now in Dynasty? The fact that people won't pay the second for Jamal Williams, who may end up having fucking nine or ten top 24 weeks this year. Yet, they also can't fathom selling David Montgomery for a second because of what he did three years ago. Like, there's not, if you look at those two guys right now, there's probably not a big difference between their career tracks or what they're going to do for the next year to two years in Dynasty. Yet, one, you can't get it through your head that one is worth a second, and the other one, no one will touch for a second. So do you think is, this is a dead spot, this type of strategy? It, it is. And, and it's even hard for me uh, as the uh, probably one of the biggest Jamal Williams haters there is in, in the entire dynasty space. I always talk shit about him. And, and one of our patrons, Zach, always points out that I just I just hate backup running backs. That's just my thing. I, I hate backup running backs. But I think some of it, too, that I always have is I look at David Montgomery has a bigger name than Jamal Williams. He doesn't have that stink on his mouth. So earlier in the season, we were talking about Najee Harrison. I think everybody can admit that Najee is having a horrible year. We have a lot of question marks about what's going on with him going forward. When you look at him, he still carries that name Najee Harris. He still carries that name that this is a second-year running back. He still carries that name of what he did last year and what he produced for people who had him. And when I said at the time, I think this is a few weeks ago, I was like, go out and, you know, see if you can get Josh Jacobs in a second. And people are like, oh, you'll never get that done. That'll never happen. Well, it'll happen more because Najee Harris still has a name. And Josh Jacobs has gone the last three years with people dunking on him and shitting on him because he doesn't catch passes or he's slow or he does this. and John Gruden hates him or whatever the case may be. He's been run through the mud. So there are plenty of managers out there who aren't going to look at it and go, 
well, Josh Jacobs is producing really well and Najee Harris isn't doing shit, they still look at it and go, well, this is what Najee Harris could be. And this is what I've known Josh Jacobs to be for the last three years. You know, I will do this deal. I will add on so I can get Najee Harris. It's similar when you talk about Montgomery and a guy like Jamal Williams. You have people out like me dunking on Jamal Williams all the time, and then people still remember the the David Montgomery five-game stretch to end the season against the worst rush defenses of all time. And all of, it's like, he could be that guy again. He could do it again. I know he can. So he always carries that little bit of a name value. But I do agree with you, Scott. Like This is where I'm talking about it's hard for me because even I have started to make that shift where let's just look and see what they're doing for you right now and what their actual dynasty value will be for the next you know 10 games 12 games 14 games however long out you want to go and you're 100 percent right that they're probably going to produce very similarly so if i'm more than willing to go out and pay a second for a guy like david montgomery because i still have this fucked up thing in my head about the name David Montgomery, why wouldn't I do it for Jamal Williams, who actually will probably give you more points and actually be more productive in your lineup? So it is a dead spot, but I still think what you're getting to is it's highly, highly exploitable across. No matter how much people are sharpening up, it's something that is highly exploitable that you can do. It just requires you to be in a position and setting yourself up ahead of time to have that draft capital like Adam's talking about with all those seconds to be able to go out and make those kind of moves. Yeah. And I think the biggest hurdle for me to really embrace this was being able to, especially when we're talking running backs, when you start getting into other positions, it's a little bit trickier, but when you're talking running backs, I know we talk all the time, two to three year window, one to two year window with running backs. It, it's a, almost becoming a weekly window or a monthly window, certainly a season long window. Like I've been able to look at running backs and go, okay, I understand why you wouldn't trade David Montgomery for Jamal Williams. Even though I can probably sit here and tell you Jamal Williams will outperform David Montgomery the rest of the year. You can start him with just as much confidence, if not more confidence every week till the end of this year. And that's worth a certain level of warp, right? Just right there alone. The part that's tough to overcome is, all right, David Montgomery's been a top 10 running back in the past. He's been a bell cow running back in the past. So the next year or two, he could sign somewhere in free agency and he bounces right back. And you can't wrap your head around the fact that we probably overweight that way too much. Like there's going to be a couple free agent running backs, Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, David Montgomery. There's a lot of good free agent running backs next year. But I think most people would bucket like all those guys. I was like, oh, yeah, he's going to be a lead back somewhere. He'll get 250, 300 touches. The reality is probably less than half of them even are going to get a shot to do that. And we can't wrap our head around, well, dude, this guy's been a bell cow in the past. For three more, three or four more years, he should be able to do that. But but you already kind of know that odds are most of those guys end up in a like Jamal Williams role for the rest of their career, which can be good. It's just... We can't get over the fact of like, what could they be? And anymore, when you get running backs, like going into their second contract that were not elite before, there's a big difference between Saquon Barkley hitting free agency and Damian Harris hitting free agency. I think at the Damian Harris level, it it's fucking year to year. 
it is year to year. There is not, oh, Damian Harris is going to last for much longer. He's going to have more bell cow touch seasons in front of him. Like, I don't want to bet on that. That's where the exploitation is. Is people people can't get it takes them a year or two to separate that name. That's the time where you can exploit this type of trade. Like you could send David Montgomery for Jamal Williams in two thirds. Yep. And guess what? That's two thirds to bail you out of maybe two weeks where you might need a spot start. And that's it. So, I mean, that's, I think, where you can exploit it is the name value. I think you hit it perfectly, Mike. It's the name value that people still can't wrap their head around. And I just look at running backs. It's year to year. It's year to year. And when a running back proves to me it's not year to year, then I'll buy in then. you know. But I'm not going to bet on all of them landing in that spot. What do you think about that, E? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I'll try and buy some of those guys if I can. Like with Montgomery and, and Jamal, like you guys said, what's the difference between them? There's really no difference between them. There's maybe one or two points. You know, uh, David Montgomery catches the ball a little bit more than Jamal Williams does, but there's really no difference from them, the guys year to year at all. Especially Montgomery. He's probably going to be on another team next year. Who knows where he's even going to be? So, yeah, I agree with you guys on, on a lot of that stuff for sure. Yeah, the difference between them this year, 4.7 points per game. Uh, and the second biggest difference, and I know our warp data that we pass around doesn't have the weighted starts. So like Jordan McNamara calls it a warp or adjusted warp. W- wait till we get that data when we get some good sit start information or sit start percentages in Dynasty. That's and then you awesome. put that to warp. It You can look at the fact that David Montgomery probably was blocking Jamal Williams on teams for the first week month of the season because well I gotta start David Montgomery. He's a bell cow. Jamal Williams isn't. So it it's not just the point per game difference or the warp difference. It's that if you have too many of those quote unquote cloggers, if you had Najee Harris and David Montgomery, they fucking killed you because you started them for a week. You started them for four games and you missed out on the accessing the you know what screw it. I gotta play, you know, Michael Carter and oh, because I don't have anybody else. We talk about that all the time. That's another one. It's There's opportunity costs that you're losing here too. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And we, we talked about that a little bit on 4D Chess uh, yesterday, and that is Najee Harris is a, is a great example, right? Um, w- whether you were in a new startup or you had him, if you believed in Najee Harris, it took you several weeks to acknowledge the fact that like not only is he, he not worth anything in the trade, not only has he is he a complete sunk cost fallacy, if you're a contender, keyword contender, but you keep putting him in the lineup, which continues to hurt you. I think that's gonna clearly show in like A warp data. I would say the other thing in A warp data that I think people that talk about this strategy or think about it that don't apply it a lot have a hard time wrapping their head around too is so if you have more than a few backfills picking the right one to start each week too, that that probably plays into it a little bit for them is like if I have Michael Carter and two other, you know, average Joe running backs, but they have the role this week, how do I know which one to play and what the variance is there too? Yeah, I mean, and I have a couple teams that I went to the extreme and I literally went for zero top 30 running backs but I had a backfield of seven or eight Michael Carters, Chase Edmonds, those types. And guess what? That was no better. Because now I'm sitting there going, man, I got to pick two or three out of seven. And how many of those did I get right? 
at the beginning of the year. You know, I started Chase Edmonds the first couple of weeks. We either did or didn't work out. Most likely didn't. Look at Khalil Herbert that week, right? No, Almost nobody in lineup started Khalil Herbert when David Montgomery got hurt early and Khalil Herbert went off, right? Yep, yep. And, again, it takes a little time. You can't kick yourself for missing on week one or week two. Like, it takes a little time for you to kind of see how players are going to get used or, you know, see how they look or whatnot. But it isn't any better to go into the year with, you know, seven, eight, nine of those, like, RB3, RB4s. Because you still don't know kind of where to go early on, and you waste some weeks by starting the wrong guys. So I think it really is an important roster construction idea to figure out you got to be prepared for this going into the year, and you got to trust that in your league, and part of it comes down to your league. Your league has to be an open market where you can make some of these deals. I'm sure we're all in some leagues that are just fucking dead. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't have the right construction to start, like you're not bailing yourself out with weekly trades, you know? Well, well let me say this too. Um, there, there's a few leagues, and Ray's talked about this with us at length this offseason, right? Because we started the 40 Chess podcast in January, okay? So that's picked up all offseason. This is the first in-season year where I'm playing with a lot of people that listen to us. And I'll tell you what Ray told me, which I knew was probably correct, but I hadn't actually felt, which I feel today is, there is so many people that are very hesitant to let me get what they think, even if it's a fair trade, they don't want to bail me out. They don't want to like say, ah, what's Adam's angle here? You know, and, and for me, it's like figuring out where the edge is when they're seeing trades that I don't like, that they know I like, that they don't like. Now I have to look at, okay, this is a trade I normally would have got done, but I can't. So now I have to talk about and look at what they actually like in a trade. How do I approach it from their lens? so that they feel like they're getting what they want and that it's not Adams walking away with this trade. Mike, have you felt that too? Yeah, it's been massive. I mean, we get questions all about it in our, in our discord. It's like, well, this is what the value that you guys said, or, you know, we asked you this question about what, what, what I should trade this player for, or what I should get as a return. And then, you know, like you see like uh, you guys, like a couple weeks later, you're taking less you're taking less or you're taking different pieces. And that's been a huge thing is because when I play in these leagues, man, you know, if, if, if I know Eric probably values, you know, Chris Godwin as a first, that's where he's at. Just as an example, if I send it to fucking Eric, he's going to look at it and he's going to go, Mike's got an angle here. <laughs> like Mike, Mike has a fucking angle here. He's sending me a first for this guy. I, I need more. I got, I got to stick it to him. So I've had to come up with a lot of creative ways where I get the value back that I want in return, but it can't just be so straightforward as like, this guy's worth a first, this is what you should get for him. I might have to take like two pieces or I might have to do what you guys have talked about before on, on your podcast, where it's the, like the, 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 the first for the second and, and make the bet that my first is going to be late and your second's going to be early. And I'm really only trading back a handful of picks. It's all these weird creative ways that I've had to make these deals because so many now being in season with people listening to all the content that gets put out, all the smart content that comes from Destination Debbie and all all the things we do in the dynasty space. It has been so hard to get those normal deals over on people. Like you can still get them on some randoms, but anybody who pays attention to you and listens to you is like, 
nah, man, I've heard you, I've heard you bash this guy in value all the time. So there's no way I'm giving you this deal. <laughs> like, I, I know this is probably his value, but there's no way I'm going to let you of all people get him for cheap. And then so many times too, like I'll send out a deal, the exact same value wise deal and they'll decline it. And then like a day later, you see the guy get traded to some other team for pretty much the exact same package. And you're like, <laughs> I know this is just to spite me. This is just to dig underneath me because you didn't want me to get it. Yeah, that, trust me, especially as you guys grow your platform and you expand like the people you're playing with and people know kind of your, not even, it has nothing to do a lot of times with players either. It's, I, I know the type of angle you're trying to take. I know your general strategy. And I know by accepting your trade, even if it helps me, that it's helping you. And it, a lot of people are hesitant to do that. Like they're hesitant to accept the, I know I'm helping Scott free up a roster spot and I'm also giving him a third rounder for a player. So I'm just not going to trade with them for that specific reason, even though it might help their team, but they know they're feeding a a bigger monster down the road. That's going to eat them eventually. You know what I mean? Like, and they're just hesitant to do that. And sometimes it's at the detriment to their own team. I know you have a point to make Adam. Let me ask Eric this as Eric started to create content. Now you have to find ways to gain intrinsic value to you, whether that's your roster construction, your draft picks. You have to look for those ways to gain value that it's not obvious to the guy when they just look at side A and side B of the trade. And I know you do that. Can you think of any other examples where you've done stuff like that, Eric, where it's like, I know I'm not going to get this person necessarily to take the, uh, you know, my, my sticker price. But like the auto accept price, I know you you were even doing that before I did. And it was, you put the price just low enough to where it's like, all right, I'll accept like this fair value, but I know I'm benefiting moving my roster construction forward by getting the deal done. So give me some examples. Can you think of anything where like you get intrinsic value, but it's not present in like side A or side B of the trade? I mean, since you put me on the spot, no, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head, but. I mean, kind of like, like you said with the auto except trade blocks, you know, we're basically just, it's usually we do it in the off season. Scott's been doing them during the season as well. I tend to not do them during the season because I don't want to like completely dismantle my depth by doing that. But uh, in the off season, I'll do it, you know, say, you know, hey, Devontae Foreman, any third, Deion Jackson, any third. Alec Pierce, any second, stuff like that. And I'll just kind of take the re-rolls on those guys, like either if it's for that draft class or the next, the following year's draft class and kind of take that draft pick as well and just kind of load up. And then by loading up on those guys, you're using that for your in-season. You know, I can, if you got, like Adam talked about earlier, he has five seconds. Well, I can use those seconds that I just traded and got in the off-season by trading some of my depth pieces away, re-rolled it. And I can use those pieces during the season now to go buy that running back, buy a running back and a receiver, you know, two spots, spot starts basically to help me out. So that's kind of what I've done. You've done, you know, I've seen a lot of people have kind of, we'll do an auto accept trade block um, podcast as well at some point too, and and really go through it in depth and how we do it. But yeah, that, I mean, that's the only really ones I can really think of off the top of my head at the moment. I mean, it's the equivalent of like kind of going through your, you know, your storage unit and getting cash for certain items. Maybe you're not taking full value, but 
the value of having the cash in your hand versus, you know, that end table that's taken up a corner in your storage unit. Maybe you're getting only half the value of it and you're losing the future use of, I mean, I've done that before where I'll have a garage sale or something like that. And then no joke, three months later, I'm going, fuck, I wish I had that chair back. You know what I mean? And I want to go buy one, but the idea of getting the liquidation and the intrinsic value there is you're like freeing up the space in your, your closet or your storage unit. Like you're benefiting not only the money, but part of the return you're getting back. Cause you're sometimes taking a little bit of a discount or at least you're not selling for a profit. The benefit you're getting is some sort of other flexibility in life. And it applies the same to dynasty. So I think that's the idea of the auto accept trade blocks. Even during the season, you're pulling from your excess, you're liquidating and you're just gambling that I'm going to be able to gain some sort of value in the future by having a little bit more of a flexible asset. So I know Adam, you had a point, so go ahead. No, I mean, I was honestly just pointing at you because you're making a point that's just so great, but I, I, I do have a point actually now that everyone's talked and that's kind of why I like doing this type of a format podcast because in listening to yours weekly and, and Eric and you guys weekly, right? It's, it, it helps me in my own process and what I want to do. And when I think about everything you guys just said, it's funny cause we, I, I'm going back to the same league, but it's just, it's just top of mind, which is why I'm going back to the same league. But how did I get five seconds and how have I been trying to combat the fact that this is a new avenue that I have to deal with, right? Like you can sit there for the first two weeks and say, man, this kind of sucks. Like I'm not used to this. Like, what do I do? But what's that going to do? You're going to pout. You're going to sit in the corner. That ain't going to fucking do anything for you. Like, how are you going to adapt to this? Right. And ultimately I think that's one of the biggest things. The ones that are the most survived and the ones that win the most, you have to adapt. Shit changes like crazy. And with that being said, it's the most reactionary market I've ever seen. So when I see Jahan Dotson, and now when we talk portfolio, right, how do I tie this all together? So I, Jahan Dotson was a guy that if you listen to our stuff, you know that Mike and I were high on, very high on. And I got, I think, nine shares uh, out of drafts, essentially, in startups. So I had nine shares of Dotson. And earlier in the year, he played very well. He was getting touchdowns. Volume wasn't crazy, but he's scoring touchdowns. And in this league, there's a patron of ours who knows, like, okay, Jahan Dotson's smashing. Adam has Jahan Dotson. And he probably doesn't want to come off of him. He's not wrong, but from a portfolio perspective and this new avenue I'm exploring, okay, if I can get your second, because I know you're tanking, and another second, I don't really like moving Jahan Dotson because I'm, I'm in on him. But at the same time, that gives me now flexibility. <clears throat> so that's how I went from three seconds to five seconds, right? Now it looks like, well, Adam, you're moving off Jahan Dotson as a contender. Yeah, but is he a is he a certain start in three wide receiver start ten? Not really. I mean, like I could absolutely play him. Like right now, could I play him though? No, that, that's luck. That's because he got hurt. But that gave me an ability to say, okay, one, what are the people looking for? What do their transactions look like? I need to be even more active at figuring out the trades they like. And then two, if I have players I'm overexposed on in portfolio, and that everybody knows that I'm talking up. Can I sell them high? And why, why we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, Scott, a la Ken Walker. I need to try to move him because I have five or six shares. Yeah, that's the beauty of the portfolio too, especially it, it's a little trickier when you get into the elite assets, right? Because you want to be a little more measured with the type of deals you take. 
Uh, so my strategy with elite assets, like if I go from six shares of Ken Walker and he's not even worth a first because he's not playing much to he's RB2 in Dynasty and it happens in two weeks, the way I play it is that's basically found money. And if I have him in six leagues, what I'm doing is if it's a peak asset like that, I'm going to basically all six of my leagues and shopping them in all six and I'm playing the leagues against each other. I might get three offers in this league, four offers in that league, two offers in this league. I'm now pooling my portfolio against 20 different offers. And I'm not stuck with a league where maybe I only get one offer on Ken Walker. And if that's only if that's my only league, I'm saying, okay, I'm willing to trade him in this league. I'm stuck on that one offer, right? But if I'm looking at it as a portfolio, hey, I got eight Jahan Dotsons. I don't really want to sell him for less than X. I'm going to put him on the block in all eight leagues. Lo and behold, someone sends me a fucking first in one of the eight. That's the one I accept. And I just walk away and go, all right, that's the portfolio strategy. Now, you may look at that league and go, all right, that ranks second out of eight in the one that I wanted to trade John Dotson in. But that was the one where I got the deal that incentivized me to go auto accept. I'm moving them. Yeah. And I'll just work with the other seven shares I have in those other leagues. Even if it isn't the league where you go, I need a wide receiver, you know, because you're, you're also betting that you don't need a wide receiver in Jahan Dotson Greens. That's the reason you're willing to sell him for a single first to begin with, right? Right. Well, and, and to that point, see, this is talking about getting uncomfortable a little bit because my comfort zone, right, has always been running backs. And now that running backs are really dead, part of it is I'm out of running backs almost on a lot of my teams, and I'm going to trade away my best one on my teams. Right. Whereas Jahan Dotson is never the best wide receiver on any of my teams, even if I'm rebuilding. He's not. Right. So there's a comfortability of I'm trading away Jahan Dotson as much as I love him. I have a bunch of shares of him and I feel like it's replaceable. What I have to start admitting is I, I can sit up here and tell you I'm doing this with the seconds, but to the same portfolio management, it's okay. Ken Walker's an elite running back asset and he is scarce right now, but that's also why he's RB2. So put him on the block and I have put him on the block in, in spots. I would say this part of it is that. And then part of it is also he is RB two on keep trade cut. He's RB. He's a super flex player 10 on keep trade cut. But what are people actually willing to give you in a trade? Right? Like if someone's just going to give me a first and a little plus, like I have a hard time doing that. So it's also figuring out what deal that other people are willing to give me. So it's probably going to come in the form of a first and a second, and then one of these filler running backs, something more like that, which someone might be able to swallow that type of a price point where they're not going to send you a bunch of firsts for Kenneth Walker, even if they're over the moon about him. Thoughts on that, Mike? I think it's huge, man. As we're sitting here talking about all this too, it is very interesting to, especially Adam and I, just because of how much our best ball strategies have adapted, but how much some of that has bled over into the lineup leagues as well, and it's become optimal in those. So a good example is we did a, a big podcast where we were talking about consistent weeks and spike weeks in best ball and how generally for most positions outside of, in my opinion, it was the super elite tight ends and the very elite quarterbacks. There wasn't a player in Dynasty. It didn't matter if it was Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or Jonathan Taylor at the time that I wanted to have wrapped up in best ball that much draft capital, that much value just sitting in one piece. And specifically with the Jonathan Taylor thing, 
you know, I got blasted on Twitter in a best ball league when I traded him away for three pieces that people thought were dog shit. And now we're sitting here, you know, week nine going into it, and Jonathan Taylor's not playing. He didn't have a great start to the season. He hasn't had a good season. And those three pieces that I got are fantastic. Like, they were really helping me win in a best ball league. Not saying that's something that you wanted to do in a lineup league per se, but if you did that same kind of move that we're talking about with the running backs and that we're talking about with Kenneth Walker, you're de-risking yourself over the time period in case Kenneth Walker has a value decline. He, he suffers a massive injury or he starts to underperform, whatever the case may be. But if you were to put that into more draft capital, into what you talk about, Scott, into more liquidity. Now, it may not be in the form of you know, a really good running back that you feel great about pushing the button. But just as of a few weeks ago, you could have gotten uh, Jamal Williams, a first-round pick, and something else on top of it. And really, what's the difference between Kenneth Walker starting in your, your lineup every week, Jamal Williams? Like, you do have a points-per-game differ, differential, and you do probably have a difference in warp, but you're also sitting on draft capital that you know is not going to get hurt, is not going to decline, and is there whenever the hell you need it to go fill a position. Like if your quarterback all of a sudden suffers a massive injury that you weren't planning on, and that's a staple of your team, you're like, now at least I have assets to go attempt to try to fill that position, to go attempt to try to plug this hole in my roster. So I think it's been huge for me playing more best ball and understanding the differences between that and lineup leagues in my trade strategies and my roster construction about how I can apply some of the differences to be more well-rounded, more risk averse in the, in the sense that I'm not going to, I'm not going to put too much into single singular positions. And cause if they backfire on you, it, it's not the greatest thing. Like a, another good example is we had a, a pretty hot button Jamar chase, you know, trade in best ball that I thought was one of the most egregious things I've ever seen. And now you're looking at it now with Jamar Chase. He's still fantastic. He's still going to carry a lot of dynasty value, but as far as a competing contending roster, he's doing nothing for you at the moment. He's going to be doing nothing for you for a few more weeks. I think there was something like two first and two seconds attached to that trade. Like what those assets could have become that liquidity, what you could buy with that at the moment like Eric's Eric sending out seconds to go get a running back filler, you know, who people it's going to be a smash except for most people. Like people are going to look at it and go, "Yeah, sure, you can have this running back for a second. You're crazy. Go for it." Think about what you could buy with a first. Even if it's not the most sexy thing, if you think that first is going to be on the later side, like you could find a pretty nice replacement in your lineup that you could push a button on for a guy like Jamar Chase that would help you out. So Things like that, I think, have been really interesting, at least going through this year, about how to adapt your trade strategy. Yeah, and I think the best ball stuff you guys covered early in the offseason and over the summer, it it was actually ahead of its time because what, what the trend you're seeing right now is I talked about on the first two Destination Dynasty shows, the replacement value level for receivers and running backs, right? And it's somewhere for receivers, it's somewhere around like 13-ish points per game. For running backs, it's around like 14 points per game. Then when you factor in that it's it's if it's not best ball and it's lineup, then you bring into play, there's a level of variance. If you just take a bunch of players that are between 13 and 14 points per game, 
you're not getting 13 or 14 from every single one of them every single week. So in a lineup, there's a level of variance for every, if you started all players like that in your receivers, running backs and flexes, you're hoping that two of them hit 20 plus. Cause you also know two of them are going to hit less than 10. And that's just the, the wave you have to ride in that type of range in lineup. Now, best ball, obviously you're going to kind of draw everything towards the top. And you're going to try to hit at least those minimums or that median every single week in best ball. But just, uh, just time to throw this out there. How many current skill players in the NFL? Just, I'm going to let you guys all guess. How many current skill players are above 17 points per game this season thus far? And that's probably like a standard deviation above the mean, right? Or above that median to where it's like, all right, these guys are studs. More often than they're not, they're going to spike way above the median. Just, just take a guess. How many skill players? So tight ends, running backs, receivers are above 17. I'm going to go with nine total. Eric? Yeah, I'm just trying to count a few in my head. I think I was probably around what Mike said. I'll go, I'll go 10. Okay. Adam? I'm going to take 12. All right. So you guys all undershot it a little bit. Maybe I oversold the idea. So it's 17 players that are above 17 points per game. Okay. Now... Here's the big thing. How many players are between 11 and 16.9 points per game? Which is going to be like within that one deviation of the mean, right? Or the median. 11 to 16, you said? So 11 to yeah, up to the 17 points per game. So we're is talking this like PPR? Full yeah, PPR? 11 to 16.9. I'm going to go with like in the 32. All right, Eric? I'm going to go higher. I think it's like in the 60s, 70s, somewhere in there. Yeah, I was going to guess 55. Uh, so Eric is the closest. By my calculation, it is 60 players okay. are in that range. So what that tells me is obviously in best ball, if you had the most of that 60 players in your league, you're probably fucking smashing, right? Yeah. Right. Like if you have a roster – 30-man rosters, but you have 18 of those guys between tight ends, running backs, and receivers in your best ball league, you're you're probably crushing in that team because every week you're having players that are firing at least to that median every yes. week. Correct. But you're every time they hit eight points per game, you're balancing on out because the guy's scoring 17 in another week. So exactly. in lineup, if you can identify which players are not in that 17 or above, and sometimes it, we don't know it going in. We think a player is going to hit this mark and then they don't or vice versa. But if you can identify early that a guy like Najee Harris is not going to be in that range after week one or week two, that's when you fucking sell. That's when you capitalize on the fact that, you know what, even if he ends up RB 11 and he scores 14.6 points per game, the value gap between that and the two backups, the Michael Carters and the Naheem Hines, and I get a first thrown in because I'm selling when his values peak, right? Like if you can identify that, you're really not even losing much in a lineup league because now Najee's out of the way and you're playing Michael Carter. You know, mm -hmm. you're playing a couple of those are fill-ins and you're netting the pick on top. Like it, you only lose these type of deals when you trade away the guy and you go, oh, he's not a difference maker. And then, you know, you pivot down off of Chris Olave, and it's like, oh, well, he ends up scoring 18 points per game. You fucked yourself. You know, you make some bad deals. Sure. But a lot of these deals, you're like, if you if you just knew this number, it'll be curious to go back and run these numbers in the offseason. But I bet you that number, 17 players over that point, 
it's probably pretty consistent over the past five years or so. Yeah. Yet we're probably milking, we're probably banking 20, 30, 40 players going into the year that we think are valued above that range. And we're not playing it right. So, so Scott, that's such a good point. And the numbers, I think for me that I hadn't, that I didn't know those, um, I, I got a lucky guess at 55. But what's interesting when you say it like that is I think that's what showed me like in lineup, we know how important liquidity is, right? Like I think in lineup, if you don't understand, even on contending side, the liquidity advantage, like you, you should hopefully at least be seeing it now, especially in a year where there's so many fucking injuries. Like you have to understand that because, and I just did a TikTok on this. I can't believe I'm on TikTok, but here we are. It's 2022. What the hell? The, the, all the running backs are dead. I'm on TikTok. Uh, what's next? You know, but about how draft picks, even on contenders, what people don't understand is, it's the only asset in the entire dynasty market that's guaranteed to ascend in value no matter what happens, right? So why that's so big is because, Scott, on the best ball side, like you hit this on the head, right? Because I bet you if you look at the 60, we had a lot of those guys correct. Like now we, there's probably guys in the 60 we didn't fucking know. I'm not saying it's all of them, but we had a, a large majority. But I guarantee you, because I, I have a lot of them on certain leagues, that we thought were going to be at least top 25 guys that are, are, are not anywhere near the top 60. So what's interesting, even on the best ball side, I still believe that if you have a great best ball roster construction, you, you're not invincible, but you can get rid of so many flaws that come your way. But with liquidity, what's interesting, because I, I have a team that when, when I looked at it at week one, I thought to myself, if this team does not win, like, I don't know any of the principles in best ball. Like, it's just, I thought it was locked in. I have seven guys now that are in the top five rounds of startups in the offseason that are injured for the season. Right? And that's not, that doesn't include Traylon Burks, who's on short-term IR, Jahan Dotson, who's short-term IR, DeAndre Swift, who basically, I mean, I don't know, he's might as well be short-term IR still, even though he's playing. Like, there's so much variance, even in best ball, to where, having a little bit of liquidity on a team like that can help erase some of those things when it matters down the stretch. Because at week one, what we know compared to what we know at week 10, 11, when the trade deadlines are going to happen or towards the playoff push at minimum, it's a drastic difference. So if you have the liquidity to your point about the tables and all that, right, you bought something today that you thought was trendy, but it's not now like you want that cash back. Having that cash in the moment of the playoffs coming around, that is such a big advantage yesterday's price is not today's price yesterday's price is not today's price <laughs> yeah when it's funny you look at those names that are above the 17 most of them were damn good players mm-hmm. like we knew we knew they were good going into the year you knew they probably carried pretty high value so it it, it does tell you when you valued a guy there and he's not in that range because he's either hurt or he sucks you can see why that hurts you even more than not having that guy at the, to begin with. So that's the first thing. But the second thing, I mean, and Mike, you've been all over this since the beginning of the season. Like you're, you're even willing to say, okay, I have one of those difference makers in best ball. But if I can trade that one, especially if it's a guy like, I, I will never forget that Kyle Pitts trade you made that you just got fucking dragged on Twitter for going like, this guy has a podcast. What? Like delete your account, you know, stuff like that. But you picked a guy that basically everyone else valued inside that, like that 17 range. Right. But you also said, okay, 
we a lot of people probably knew his value was propped up into that range artificially. Like there was no guarantee. There was nothing that signaled that he was guaranteed to produce in that range. But you even said, I don't even care about that. Even if he does produce in that range, if I can get four of those guys that are in that 60 range in best ball, I'm going to make a couple of those deals until I get my roster to where I want it to be. That's a little different in lineup, but even you were ahead of that. And, and I'm guessing it's probably working out for you on a lot of those. If you, if you hit some of those right guys in that group of 60, you're smashing. It, it has the, the best ball strategy. I mean, when we had, uh, we had Bob Lung on and he was talking about his consistency guide and reading through it. Now, granted, there's a lot of things in there that probably don't apply to like lineup leagues, but when I'm looking at it for best ball, I'm like, you know, I always kind of had this thought to actually see the data on it and to put a, a quantitative number on it. I'm going, well, let's look into it. And we start digging into it and I start looking at all these numbers about being a consistent starter. Like how many weeks would you actually make a lineup? How many weeks are you actually going to be better than probably the opponent I'm playing? And then let's see how often that you're you're spiking. How often are you having these massive Jamar Chase games? You know, these league winning games or week winning games. And when you put all the numbers together, you look at it and you go, I'm much better off if I take four shots at the dartboard than just one and it doesn't really matter how good that one is if i have four that i feel comfortable with what happens if that one asset takes a dump what happens if that one asset gets a bad coach what happens if that one asset gets injured now i'm out completely at least if i have four i spread it across and then that doesn't even equate to the four guys potentially jumping into that that top tier, right? You're talking about the the elite ones over 17 points per game. We also see sometimes, it's not often, but we see sometimes random guys like Chris Olave all of a sudden are scoring crazy points. And what it costs to acquire him in March, April, May is much different than what it takes now, right? Yesterday's price is not today's price. But it gives you that opportunity to 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 get a shot at one of those. I'm really just hoping to hit a bunch of singles, but you still have that opportunity to crank one out of the park. So I think for the best ball thing, that was a big eye opener. The one thing I will say about it, and Adam and I talked on the podcast about it, the one thing I wish I would do more is like what we were talking about earlier is carrying some more liquidity in season. Because like Adam said, there's even these ridiculous rosters that you just have a string of bad luck. You have a string of variance that goes against you. And unless you're you're finding suckers to to bail you out of all the bad things that are happening to you, you're going to need that liquidity in order to rectify it to keep the ship moving. Otherwise, really, your own choice is just to sit there with with pie on your face, eat it for the year, and like, hey, we'll run it back next year and try again, which is perfectly fine. But I know if I put all that effort in, I've pushed all my chips in for this year. I really want to see it pay off. And best ball is kind of unique to lineup. We've talked about that before too, where lineup, there's a lot more variance, right? Because you're having to push the button every single week. You're going to have guys with massive weeks where best ball, you can build these massively high floor teams where even if like your studs have a bad week, your overall team still wins. You get a little bit better chance at, at winning in the playoffs where it's one and done. So I think best ball is more conducive to having that high floor to having a lot more of these 
top 60 guys like you're talking about versus the super elite ones. But having that liquidity in there to to reinforce, to to go out and buy a Deontay Foreman, to go out and buy a Jamal Williams when you know they're playing well has been one thing this year specifically that I wish I'd done more of, even in best ball, just like we're talking about with lineup. Real quickly, because that Mike just made me think of a point that, Scott, you do a lot of, and Eric, you guys do on the show, is like talking about it in a practicality man point. So if you have, let's say, Let's use Scott's table in your in your house example, right? So let's say you get a great deal on a table. For example, let's say that's uh, Javante Williams here, right? So you've got a great deal on Javante Williams. You're thinking, this is found money. And on a contender, I want I want Javante Williams, right? So let's say you bring this coffee table into your house. Okay, so the coffee table's sitting there. Oh, it's looking sexy. This is good. Like, look at this, right? But let's say Mike and I, like when he's over, we have this debauchery night, and all of a sudden you wake up and there's – a bunch of shit all over the table and you can't get it out. It's stained. It's broken. Like, okay, I got this great deal, but now it's worth way less than that great deal. And here's the other big problem. If you go to sell that, who wants a broken table? Nobody wants Javante Williams who can't make their lineup in season, right? Even the rebuilders don't typically want that. They'll take it, but at a huge discount because they got to clean up the table. They got to, you know, basically grain it out, get all everything ready to go. Liquidity, for almost anybody, but especially if you hold it until the point where rebuilders are decided, that is so much different than is it a broken table. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's it's almost think about the variance and a lot of the stuff that happens week to week that we can't control. It, it's like starting a business and the only thing you don't do is like insure it. You know, and it's like it could go things could go wrong. You could have something happen and you don't have insurance. You just put everything you own at risk. And it was just a simple thing. It was just getting the insurance, you know, and that's kind of how I'm starting to look at dynasty is every year you want to have a level of insurance built up. You don't want to have too much. You don't want to over-insure something. Cause then you're like, I'm just going to waste it. I mean, we've all paid insurance premiums for years and it's like, I've never even fucking used it. You know, we wish I could have that money back. Uh, but that's not how it works. Like you're going to have teams where you're going to need to tap into that insurance, max it out, you know, even go above and beyond what you had just cause you have to. I mean, let me ask you this, Eric. Let me. I'm going to change gears. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, so you're going to have to be creative. So turn on your creative brain. Then I'm going to ask Mike and Adam oh, the same thing. Fuck. No, come on. You got this. You got this. So as this starts to become, and I don't want to say this is ever going to become the dominant strategy from like a game theory perspective, because I think there's too many casuals slash biased humans out there that are playing Dynasty that we're never going to find unless we purposely try to put it this way, we're never going to find just the general casual league being uh, 12 of us. It's probably not going to happen unless we build it that way. But even just a couple more in a given league that start playing this way, as it becomes, especially as you start making content and putting it out there and getting into leagues with like-minded individuals, Eric and I talked about that today in DM. Like, I, I kind of enjoy playing with other players like us too because I kind of know more what to expect from a market and behavior perspective when I'm playing with you guys versus random guys on sleeper where it's like, I'm just frustrated because I can't get a good read on them right away. And a lot of times I can't get the read on them because they're so far in on another planet that anything logical that I'm thinking through my brain, it takes too long for me to figure them out to, to be able to beat them during the season. So how do you combat that Eric as more people start playing this way? Cause I think we're going to see in the next year or two, we are going to see a transition to this running back strategy, but to an extreme. 
like to where nobody values running backs. Everybody's going to fade running backs. Everybody's going to bet against, you know, these elite guys ever hitting the high warp seasons. But as people start doing that, how do you adjust? As you start getting into more leagues, like more lineup leagues with more Eric Vanix and more Scott Connors, how do you adjust? What what do you what do you do? Because you know in your heart that you're gonna have to adjust against what you know is probably the dominant strategy from like a numbers perspective. But man, if there's nine people in the room doing the same thing, you also know I, I can't just follow the leader. So how how do you kind of get around the fact that other people are getting sharper? I guess I'll say it that way, Eric. Yeah, I mean, as as we put out more content and other people put out more content and everyone's listening to the podcast or reading articles and whatnot, everything's going to, you know, everybody's going to have their own strategy. And like you said, I think this running back doesn't matter strategy is probably going to be king next year. I mean, every, we already see it in our uh, high stakes leagues. We call it piss and yellow because the stickers on the board are uh, the wide receivers are yellow. And it's just wide receivers all over the place. And it's already we're already seeing that in high stakes, and I think it's just going to keep going more and more. The way to combat it, man, I just think you're going to have to kind of flip a little bit. You're going to have to go and, and grab some running backs. You're going to have to be willing to take some of these guys that you know have a certain skill set, like the pass-catching running backs, the Barkleys, the Ecklers. I want those guys. Like I'll just take a lot of these pass-catching guys. I'm not going to like worry myself too much with these, you know, running backs. like kind of like Ken Walker, like Ken Walker's great right now. He's awesome. RB two and keep trade cut, whatever, but he can't catch the ball or he hasn't been, I don't want to say he can't catch the ball, but he hasn't been given that opportunity to have 40, 50, 60 catches yet. And so what's his ceiling then? It's going to be like Nick Chubb at his best. And what is Nick Chubb right now? Like, beginning of this season, nobody wanted Nick Chubb. He was like RB17, something like that. So I think, you know, getting certain skill set of running backs, I think that's going to be key. And, you know, you've talked about it too, like um, RBs that finish uh, first overall in a, in a total RB points. It's always the pass catchers. It's never these like Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb. Like even when they have their super smash seasons, they're never at the top. Still, it's still Barkley. It's still McCaffrey. It's still DeAndre Swift. These guys that can catch 50, 60, 70 balls. Those are the guys that are always at the top. So that would be my strategy personally is make sure I'm going after these running backs then and loading up on them. If I can, these guys that can have these 50, 60, 70 catch seasons and I'll let everybody else have the Nick Chubbs and Ken Walkers, uh, you know, trying to get some other guys that don't catch the ball very much. Let those guys have them. And then I'll just make, you know, I'll still going to draft my wide receivers. I'm not completely punting wide receivers because we know that's that's the ultimate strategy is to get those guys. So I'm going to have my wide receivers, but I'll, I'll be willing to use my knowledge and the way that I know depth charts and how teams are structured and, and who distributes the ball to who, you know, there's certain teams that only give the ball to five different guys. I'm going to make sure I have those guys and just go with those wide receivers. So that's kind of what I would do. It's operating in some of that uncomfortable ranges where you get to the off season and you're holding uh, Garrett Wilson. Had a, had a good rookie year. Someone presents you the opportunity. Hey, Eric. You can buy my Austin Eckler for Garrett Wilson. 
you're going to go, oh, man, no, no way. I don't want to make that move. But you know what? That 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 move could be enough against the grain because, you know, everybody in the offseason is going to go, man, I can sell a 27-year-old running back for a young stud receiver. Like, give me the receiver, you know? You could probably maybe, get something back with Eckler, honestly, the way things are going right now. Yeah, you, you could probably get a plus. But I, I think the pivot is that your mind is willing to be open to that trade. Whereas right now, if I ask you, who would you prefer, Eric, Austin Eckler or Garrett Wilson? If we're not in the midst of scoring points, you're going, oh, give me off the running back. I don't want that. Yeah, yeah, yuck, you know. But there might be that one opportunity during the offseason where it's real uncomfortable for you to turn your youngest good receiver into an old running back. And there might only be one opportunity for you to buy that type. And I think that could be the pivot is, is allowing yourself the uncomfortable ability to make that trade instead of going, oh, no, I can't. I, I can't. I'm scared. I'm scared. Even though you know there might be three or four running backs that can hit that elite warp range and you have a chance to get one of them. And that might be the only chance you have to get them. And the uncomfortability is that you got to trade a, a, a an insulated asset that you don't feel the market would say you should trade. I think that's the difference is before I'm going on, oh, I don't I'm, forget running back, but I think that's the pivot. It's to lean into the fact everyone's going to be going, Oh no, I'm scared. I'm scared of buying those guys. So I think yeah, that's a good point. Like, I think that's going to be something you're going to have opportunities to do because there's going to be a lot of good running backs. People are going to be fading this offseason. Mike, Adam, you guys got any thoughts from like that perspective or but also best ball? Like anything different in best ball of how you're going to look at things? It's uh, Eric hit a lot of the stuff on the head. Adam and I have had these conversations specifically with the running backs, but the the one thing that's always stuck out to me in my dynasty journey of being being better at playing the game has been something that Mike Lou used to say about, you know, specifically being in a, a startup draft, and that's be water. Like, adapt to your environment. So I definitely have shifted my strategy, what I want to do next year with my teams, whether that's in startup drafts, in-season, roster construction. But with all these shifts and changes in the dynasty market, to your point, Scott, about is this going to be the prevalent thing? Like, how are you going to counteract that? There will definitely be a lot of situations, depending on league, where I'll probably walk away with more running backs than I've ever had, period. And I've been a running back guy for a long time. But I might walk away out of a, a startup draft, specifically with like five, six of them, seven of them. And I'm going to place my chips on the fact that these guys became value. And at some point, I'm going to be trading them. Somebody's going to be wanting them. Somebody's going to be like... Man, Saquon Barkley is smashing. I want Saquon Barkley now. Well, perfect. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Now you come and pay me exactly what I wanted for Saquon Barkley. The same thing applies to everything I think Adam and I have been doing to varying degrees. Like Adam and I preach running backs and we preached our our best ball strategy and we get in some of these patron league startups that we did, best ball startups with people who listen to us and are patrons of us and follow everything we do, and Adam can attest to it, everybody would be taking running backs early. Everybody would be taking quarterbacks early. And Both Adam and I have teams where we talked about we'd never take Justin Jefferson in the first round. We'd never take Jamar Chase in the first round. And we're walking away with teams that have Jefferson and Chase and C.D. Lamb on it, and they're just absolutely loaded with wide receivers and no running backs whatsoever. But if 11, 10 other people in the league – 
are going to play the exact same way that we want to play, are going to have their strategy the exact same way that I want to, I don't want to be the one at the tail end of it. I don't want to be the one chasing. I want to be the guy who's setting the market or adapting to the market to the point where it's going to be advantageous for me. So I think that is the biggest thing for Dynasty next year is be cognizant of the shifts and see exactly how they're playing out in your individual leagues. If they're just casuals and they're not paying attention, by all means, if you want to go to this liquidity strategy, you want to go to this hero RB, wide receivers, quarterbacks, and then go out and try to buy these Jamal Williams, Deontay Foreman types, absolutely. That is the premier way I think I want to play next year. But if my league's not going to allow it, the value isn't going to be there, I won't be doing it. I'll be on the opposite side of the fence. I'll be the guy out there with all the Austin Ecklers and Nick Chubbs and Saquon Barkley's thinking, all right, I got to try something different because everybody else is doing the exact same thing on the other side. Yeah, and I think, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I guess the way I would say this is when I look at a startup today and look at a startup in the future, what does that look like? And I think that's the biggest takeaway because if you're already in the league, right? Like Scott, you guys are in leagues where you've already built this strategy and really it's geared you to be lined up so great because you have 23 picks built into those wide receiver cores that you built. And to your point, you've been talking about this for a while. Those teams are already geared for success. You know, Mike and I have teams in lineup where it's running back built more so where we have some cleanup to do and we have some things to adjust. But leagues like that, you know, you're going to have to be cognizant of how it changes in those leagues and how your team's formed according to everybody else. Right. But I guess I'm going to talk from a startup new league and how that's going to look. And and the reason I want to do that is because like we already have talked, basically a lot of this podcast is talking about our trade strategy, right. And talking about edges to win and ways you can assess your league mates and stuff. That's not going to change, right? Even in a new league, that's not going to change. The people change, but a lot of your strategy is going to adapt to what's going on around you. So I'm comfortable knowing that if my startup doesn't go perfectly, I can talk about all the stuff we just did here and apply it to that league if it doesn't go right. So the reason I set it up that way is this. So this year, if you guys were doing the hero RB approach or the zero RB approach, right? Like very realistically, you could have left a draft with Lamar Jackson, Cooper Cup, Stefan Diggs, and Jalen Waddle. First four rounds, right? Now think about this in the future. Let's try to future cast this for a little bit. I, especially with Brees going down, and I think we both have talked about this at length. Brees going down, I feel like, was the massive changer here. Because had Brees continued to smash like that for the rest of the year, and let's say Kenneth Walker did with the 23 class coming in, you're probably having a lot of people that still want to buy into running back. But what happens is now... I think more often than not, you're going to see people fade running back early. So what does that do? So if you tried the same exact approach, and the reason I want to spell this out is because let's say you took Lamar. Let's say you still took took Cooper Cup. Now in round three, you know what's not coming? Any of the guys that we mentioned. Not only are you not going to get Stephon Diggs, Debo Samuel, Devontae Adams, T. Higgins, you're not even going to get who you got in the fourth in Jalen Waddle. So if you try to do it again, let's say you get wide receiver in round three this time, but you're shooting your shot on Drake London or what that is next year. And we have now your, your wide receiver too is a rookie that isn't firing. Right. And let's say you reach again in round four, cause you don't want to take running back. Now you're getting Terry McLaurin, De- Deontay Johnson. So the strategy may not work 
based on if you're doing the exact same thing, but you're pegging different players in those holes. So here, here's the thing I think we have to be honest about. I'm not going to try to do running backs unless it's rare exceptions of like Bijan falling pretty good, you know, something like that. I, I don't want to take too many running backs in the first two to three rounds, right? But especially if the fade gets too far after the elite wide receivers are going, after the elite quarterbacks are going, reaching on the mid-tier wide receiver, if that's happening, I think it's a bad idea. And I think there it's where you have to be uncomfortable saying, I am taking a risk by taking these running backs, but if they're falling, okay, if they get hurt, I believe that I'm capable of cleaning this shit up and making my dynasty team okay. But you have to also think about the other end. What if you hit three running backs that are top 12s in the fourth, fifth, and seventh rounds? That is league winning type shit still, even in warp that looks bad. So I think basically what you're having to do is say, okay, everybody else is taking probably the optimal strategy, but now the optimal strategy isn't optimal because everybody's doing it. So I have to take the risk approach and be willing to, even if it doesn't fall my way, even if I take the wrong running backs, I'll clean it up. But if I hit the right running backs, holy shit, we're talking about something crazy here. Dude. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Kind of reminds me of one of the things I mentioned earlier this year about tight ends. If you're going to take an, if you're going to spend up on an elite tight end in a startup, the most dominant strategy you can take is take another one. Because essentially what you've done is, yeah, you might not like your roster construction. You might be sitting there the whole time going, fuck, I got two tight ends. I'm trying to trade one. But really what you did is you potentially destroyed everyone else from being able to match you. And that's it. You you, you kind of you shifted the needle of the entire league where if you just took Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey in a startup, you basically destroyed everybody else into having to stream. And you may not love your roster. You may be sitting there going, ah, I'm, I'm a little weak at running back. I'm a little weak at receiver. Damn, I wish I would have taken that second good quarterback or whatever. But the return on the investment, when you hit like that right pocket of how things were going to play out at tight end, you didn't know it. But the way that it has, it's like if you took both of those guys in a startup, that's probably a big enough advantage to where like you could have fixed some of the other spots with patchwork. It just wouldn't have been running backs. Maybe it had to be a quarterback. Maybe it had to be a receiver somewhere. But the advantage you got because of just what I just said and what you laid out is perfect. It's like you're not, you don't want to chase, Mike, you said it perfectly. You don't want to chase the same roster construction as everybody else because then it's just a coin flip. If you told me everybody else is going to have the exact same roster construction principles as me, I have no edge. I just need to pick player better, pick better players than you. I need to pick players that don't get hurt. That's not an edge. That's luck. I'm not better at picking players than Eric. He's not better at picking players than Mike. Like we, none of us know when guys are going to get hurt. But I think what we talked about this whole show was finding the edges where other people don't see it. They're just looking at players. They're just looking at trade values. They're not seeing maybe gaining some value in roster construction or trade strategy, but we have to adapt. I mean, I'll leave everybody with this, and I'll let Eric close out the show. You might think you're a good dynasty player. You might listen to us. You might listen to a bunch of other podcasts. If you're smart, you're listening to like 25 other people, and you're taking the, the top 10% of the advice you get from all of them and milking it into your own strategy. But just ponder this question. What would you do if you've 
cultivated this awesome dynasty strategy. You understand the market. You understand the trends of how the players are playing either best ball or lineup or both. You think you're tapped in. Like, you got the strategy. Now insert, insert yourself. Every league you're in, insert yourself against 11 other U's. Robots that are following the exact same thought pattern as you. Everything you do, they're trying to do. Every spam offer you send, they're sending. Every time there's an edge they find with a you know a free pickup on a roster spot and flipping a player for a pick, they're doing it. So there's no edge, which means there's not going to be a market for you to do a lot of that stuff because there's nobody on the other end. How do you beat yourself if you're playing against 11 other U's? And think about that. Like, it's not a question you can answer overnight. I could ask all three of you that question, and we'd be sitting here going like, uh, man, that's deep. You know, that I can't answer that in five minutes. But think about that. Always be thinking about before you make your next move or before you plan your startup strategy for next year, or before you blow up that team, be thinking about what if this league was a, bit, a bunch of people thinking like me? How do I outsmart them? How do I get ahead of them? What type of bets can I make to where if I'm right on this, if I have a 60% chance of being right on this next trend, let me make that bet now. Let me not wait until the other six realize that's what I should be doing and then they start trying to do it. So just ponder that. How do you beat 11 other people of you in the same league? So Eric, go ahead and uh, close this out if you want. Yeah, no, that's those are all good points. And one thing I wanted to bring up um, that we didn't really get to, but you guys can check it out on the 4D Chess podcast this week, is how do we, with the with Jonathan Taylor and Najee Harris, how far they've fallen? I think right now, I think Mike and Adam talked about it a lot. Those are good times to buy those guys right now because of how far they have fallen. They're just cheap as they've ever been. So I think buying Najee and Jonathan Taylor right now, like – I think you could buy John or Najee for like a second and another like decent player right now. I think in a lot of leagues you can do that. And I'll just say, fuck it. I'll take the bet next year that Najee's a lot better, that Pittsburgh invests in their offensive line and Najee gets a lot better than what he is this year. Same with Taylor. Taylor's been hurt. He's still good. I think their example was um, a first round pick. And Traylon Burks, you know, something like that, um, I believe, was from the podcast. If you can get something like that done for Jonathan Taylor, I think I would go ahead and do that. Because I don't think, you know, beginning of the season, he was three first-rounders. Then he was struggling. Okay, well, now it's probably more seconds because we got smarter. We're like, nobody's worth three first unless it's a quarterback. And I think now that Taylor's hurt this week and looks like he might just be dealing with this ankle injury all year. I think his value is just going to keep going down. So being, you know, if you can get Jonathan Taylor, if you're especially if you're a contender, I don't care if Taylor's out for the rest of the year. I'll still buy him with my 110, 111, 112, and another solid player to buy Taylor, and I'll have him for next year because I think that's how I would want to use my first um, if I can. So that was another good one I wanted to bring up from their guys' podcast. So make sure you guys check that out this week. Uh, but no, to uh, end the show, me and Scott usually do uh, a little game, uh, our favorites game. So I'm going to do that f- uh, for you guys this week as well. I came up with a good idea at work the other night. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with this this week. And it is, what is your favorite strip club in Canton, Ohio? Mike, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Christie's. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but what I came up with was... What is your favorite um, football movie character? 
So whoever wants to go first. Got All it. Right, Mike. Got it. I, I thought it was going to be tough, but the first one that came to mind, well, technically the second one, the first one that came to mind, Alvin Mack from the program, by far and away. Love Alvin Mack. Would have been the greatest linebacker of all time if that shitty offensive guard from Iowa didn't break his leg in Kinnick Stadium. For those of you who've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm a Hawkeye fan, but they they did my man Alvin Mack wrong. Adam, go ahead. Me, I am, I am drawing a blank. Uh, the guy that caught the pass in Little Giants is my favorite. I can't think of his damn name right now. Uh, Mike's on mute, too. He's, he's trying to help me out and say the name. Hot Hands Hanan. Hot, there we go. Yes, sir. Hot Hands Hanan. Great. Yes. My, easily my favorite, man. It was, it was awesome. I, I love watching Little Giants back in the day. Scott, what about you? You were, you were sick, Adam, because I am thinking Little Giants, too. That is for by real? far my favorite Oh, football. man. I love and that And Eric gives me shit all the time because I haven't seen a lot of the other football movies. But Little Giants is Little Giants is awesome. I mean, I still watch that today and be like, this is cool shit. So I, I would say that it, I always – it blew me away just because my – I wasn't to this level. Like, my parents weren't to this level. But I, I'll never forget the – it's that scene where it's um, – I'm trying to think of what his name is in the movie. It's uh, the, the, the guy that his dad, like, babies him, like the star on the Cowboys. I'm yeah. trying to think of what his name – what his character name is. Yeah. But I'll never forget that scene where the guy's like, you know, he has to massage his hamstrings every single day so he's ready to go. You know, like that, that scene for, like, a, a kid, I was like – that character was like the the antagonist, but at the same time, I always remember like rooting for him because he was the he was the best player. You know what I mean? Like you could tell he was set to be a star. Spike. Spike, that's it, that's it. Spike, so yep. I, yep. I was yeah, I, I always wondered too, like what it's like to have your hamstrings massaged in buttermilk every night. Like I didn't know. <laughs> I imagine it's probably nice. I imagine it's probably nice. No, but I, I just always found myself rooting for Spike as a kid because I, I know after seeing the movie like 20 times that he ends up with egg on his face. You know what I mean? Like he ends up losing. But at the same time, I'm like, that, that's the guy that could, that's the guy that's going to the NFL. You know what I mean? So I just, <laughs> like, he was always my favorite character, even though he gets beat at the end. So. <laughs> okay. I love it, man. Well, I'm, everyone knows mine's usually Willie Beeman, but I'm going to give you my underrated one in this one. I absolutely love Shane Falco in the Republicans. Oh, yeah. Nice. Shane yeah. Falco is absolutely awesome. I love that character. Um, he played an awesome quarterback in that one. I thought he was just absolutely great in that movie. So I'd go with Shane Falco as my underrated one. That's a good one, man. That, that was a great movie, too, The Replacements. Yeah. If, you, yeah. if you haven't seen that and you're listening to this, give The Replacements a watch. It's, it's underrated, man. Very underrated, in my opinion. Have you, have you watched that one, at least, Scott? Not all the way through. I mean, I've seen these on, but I've never watched them all the way through. I got some football movies to binge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we he, could definitely give you a few. He still hasn't seen any given Sunday, Mike. Come on. What? Yeah. <laughs> Scott. Come exactly. on. Exactly. Exactly. It's like I haven't watched any of this, any of them since I was a kid. So, like, a lot of the, 
a lot of the sports movies I watch are like for kids, you know. We're gonna trick you the next time. We'll we'll ask you on the Dynasty Trade Show, and then it's just gonna be a stream session. We're just gonna watch it, give it Sunday all the way through. <laughs> then we'll get your analysis at the end. Good stuff. Uh, another underrated one. It was on ESPN for one year. It was Playmakers. They had a bunch of good characters on there. That was such a effed up show, man. There was drugs and sex and everything that the NFL did not want. And then there was also, yep. And then there was also a sweet poker show that was on right after it too. That was like a a scripted show. I forget what the hell. Tilt, yeah, tilt, yeah. Yeah. That was another good show. Yeah. Speaking of the playmakers, man, I always found it. I found it the greatest thing ever that Cuba Gooding Jr.'s brother was the main character in there and, and how much alike they kind of look. You yeah. can definitely tell the difference because he's a lot bigger. Yeah. <laughs> but the face, you're like, is that Cuba Gooden Jr.? Has he let himself go? <laughs> no, yeah. that's his brother. And the quarterback sending the equipment manager to go pick the blonde out in the front <laughs> row so he can bang her after the game. <laughs> there it is. I love, I love there it. Man. Is. L- l- listen, th- this is why this podcast is one of my favorites. I the 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 analysis is awesome, but there's also like a liveliness to it. I I love uh, these two guys, man, and I appreciate you guys having us on the show, man. Honestly, like this was a bunch of fun, and I think it was also hopefully um, good for everybody to listen to. And yeah, man, the the uh, the, re- the replacements, and obviously um, that show they did not want on ESPN, Eric. You know? <laughs> no, not at all. I still have them on. Uh, I have both the poker show and Playmakers on DVD, and I. I don't think I've watched them um, since the show's aired, so I might do that one day. Just go back and watch it and relive some old memories on that one. Hell yeah! Ne- I next don't even time, think they next sell time. them anymore. Those might actually be collector's items. Next time we come out for the uh, the expo, right? We're gonna go to Eric's house just so we could watch the whole season of Playmakers. Yeah, and I'm gonna tie Scott down and make him watch any given Sunday too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny, Eric lives like 45 minutes from the expo, but didn't bother to show up. So maybe next year we'll drag his ass out there. He, he's coming one way or the other. Yeah, we invited him this year, but this, this coming up here, he, he's going to be there. No, we'll, we the will other. just stop at his house. I mean, and... Scott, Scott, I work in Cleveland. I'm not that far from Eric. Like, if it, if it comes to it, I'm going to drive over there and make sure he gets in the car on the way down, you know? <laughs> I, I just don't want to be the one that blows my Achilles there this year. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you don't do anything physical and you just eat, We're good. sleep, drink, hang around, talk fantasy football, I think you're safe. L- yeah. Listen, I was out there after Ray, uh, you know, tore his Achilles, unfortunately, and I-, I was out there, you know, jumping and, and dunking on the goalposts. I'm not even doing that. After what I saw with Ike, like, I'm not even messing around. You're going to see me walking everywhere I go. I'm not. I'm not doing anything like that. I mean, if you work for DD and you're out there, you're just you're tempting fate that the Achilles is going to blow. I'm scared now. <laughs> exactly. it's, a, it's a fear of mine. I've told Ray, like, it is a fear to blow an Achilles because the the mental hurdles of not being able to do some of the stuff you did before, like the, the pain and the injury, whatever. But the mental hurdles of like, dude, you're never going to be the same. You're never going to walk the same. Like, it's a legit fear of mine. So, yeah, if I'm still with DD, then which I'm going to be. Right. <laughs> There's no risk. Like I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go gingerly up and down the fucking steps. Adam, Adam can attest. Uh, we almost had a torn ACL there too after Ray blew out his Achilles because I Ooh. thought it was a good idea for my big ass to go out and run routes for Felix Sharp to throw me passes. So yeah, that wasn't oh, a good geez. thing either. <laughs> yeah, we we went and shot baskets the next day at my house, and let's just say Mike was feeling it and was worried something had happened. Luckily, it wasn't anything severe, but we're we're not gonna test fate next year. Nope. 
Nope. We're done. Ray, Ray, if you're listening to this, I need you to uh, do a tax write-off for me for a little rascal scooter that I'm going to drive around at the fucking expo with. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't hurt anything. I'll still hurt my thumb. I'll jam it into the the throttle or something. I don't know. (laughs) But anyways, no, Adam and Mike, it was uh, awesome to have you guys finally on. Finally got you guys on here. We haven't had too many guests. We've only had you guys are our third guest, so appreciate having you guys on. But um, now, go ahead and guys share your guys' Twitter, your guys' show, whatever you guys want to share. Go ahead. Well, you can find me at Iowa Michael on Twitter. Uh, I don't know why anybody follows me, but if you do, uh, best of luck to you. May the odds ever be in your favor. <laughs> but you can check us out here. Stay on the same same podcast feed, man. Just come check out the 4D stuff and check out everything Destination Debbie's doing. Like this is this is pretty much the only podcast feed you really need because we have it all, everything here. We have everything that you could need, and we have a lot of really incredibly smart Dynasty minds. And I think that's the biggest problem. I love being on here, but we could literally do like a six-hour podcast. Uh, none of our none of our family would enjoy that. Uh, they'd all be very upset with us, but <laughs> we we could do it. But. Thank you so much for having us on. It has been incredible to chop it up with you guys. And a lot of good discussion tonight and definitely something I was part of the discussion. I'm probably going to go listen to it back when it comes out on Saturday, just in case I missed anything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and on TikTok for those of you on TikTok, uh, ATM 40 chess. Keep it simple. Same on everything. But if you don't have to go check me out over there, because like Mike said, we're all here on the Destination Debbie uh, Network Radio Honestly, if, if you're a podcast person or a YouTube person, you check out Destination Debbie, the YouTube feed, or you check out Destination Debbie Radio podcast, you're going to be in way over good hands. Um, like Scott said, you know, if, you, if you're listening to as many podcasts as you can and you take away 10% of that, like that's honestly how Mike and I became even trying to do a podcast was we tried to form our process based on everything we heard from guys like Scott and Ray and everyone out there. So it, it, I will tell you this. I still listen to a ton of podcasts. And if you told me I had to get rid of all but one platform, it's not even a judgment call who I'm ditching. It's everything on Destination Debbie Radio by a mile, in my opinion, based on the actionable advice plus the entertainment. It's just, I think it's leaps and bounds ahead. Call me biased because I'm Team DD, but that's also how I feel in my heart. So anyway, those are my plugs. That's what I have to say. And I appreciate you guys having us on, man. I really do. Yeah, and make sure you guys also check out the newsletter. Both of these guys write in the newsletter. I write in the newsletter as well. Every single week that comes to uh, your email on Fridays, that's allgas.beehive.com. Or, or, I'm sorry, not .com, slash subscribe. And that's uh, H-I-I-V for the Beehive. Make sure you guys check that out every Friday. That's pretty cool stuff that we're putting out there. There's betting. There's sit starts for the week, dynasty advice, uh, college Debbie rankings, everything's on there. So make sure you guys check that out every Friday. That's pretty much all you need. All our other podcasts on on the uh, Destination Debbie Radio Network as well. So make sure you guys are checking that out every single week. And then also on Sundays, I uh, join up here with Adam and Mike, and we do the Start Sit Show live on the uh, Destination Debbie YouTube as well. We usually have Ike, Gene, Ray, somebody joins us. We usually have a fourth on there. And we give you uh, really shitty advice that does not help you out at all. <laughs> and then we laugh about it. We laugh about how dumb we are when the yeah. guy that we told you to obviously sit because he's horrible at football scores four <laughs> touchdowns. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I mean, we try our best to give you the best advice we can, but sometimes it's just completely random. You just have no idea. So, but with that, um, I'm at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter, and you can also follow this podcast on Twitter at America's Game Pod as well. And Scott, go ahead and uh, close us out. Maybe tell us what you got, a little preview for Destination Dynasty this week. Yeah, I just want to thank Adam and Mike for coming on. Great discussion. Like, literally, I'm sitting here when you guys are saying we could do a six-hour podcast. Like, I'm thinking maybe sometime in the summer we do a we do like a 24-hour Destination Devi Summit where we rotate everybody in and out and we just like oh, live yeah. stream for 24 hours and we talk everything, draft, dynasty, everything. And I mean, we got a dozen people that could come on and chime in. I mean, and shit, we could pull half the people from the Heisman group too. And they could come on and hang, you know, as long as they're comfortable talking, like all of us can talk as long as they're comfortable talking, like they're just as smart as we are. Uh, so yep. yeah, I mean, I, check out everything at DD. Uh, obviously you can follow me at, at Charles chill FFB on Twitter. Uh, preview of destination dynasty over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing all uh, roster construction strategy shows. So talking about a lot about, I reference uh, the wide receiver threshold and uh, a lot of that kind of stuff that if you're familiar with my Patreon, I'm going to kind of rehash some of that stuff and talk about it. Uh, it's going to be good for me to talk about it because the last episodes I did on this was, you know, six months to a year ago. And this year's changed some of it. You know, we just talked about that tonight. Like it's not going to all just be, hey, whatever I was doing last year, or the year before. It's going to be the same. So that's what I'm going to focus on for the next couple episodes, some roster construction stuff. Oh, uh, and yeah, check that out. Destination Dynasty drops every Monday morning uh, on this same feed. So, yeah, thanks for having uh, everybody on, Eric. Thanks for being the gracious host. And even though I think Mike, Adam, and I like to talk like three times more than Eric, but, you know, thanks for being a good sport. So appreciate you. Wow, that's, I mean, you guys are giving out great actionable info. So everybody needs to hear that stuff. So. Nah, that's good, man. So appreciate you guys having you guys on again. For sure. We'll do it again. It won't be the last time. Yeah, yep. being, being the point guard of the show is the best part, right? I get to do that on Sundays where I just dish yeah. it to you three and I let you guys do all the talk and I just sit there and nod my head. Yeah, I was yep. like the Spencer Petras of this one. I just <laughs> No, he doesn't actually complete passes, though. <laughs> Alright, well with that guys, we are uh, done for this week. Good luck here in week 9. Hopefully you survived the bye week. Mm-hmm.